following is a production of the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. For more information about the Institute or to learn more about our current course offerings, please visit our website at www.bright-va.org. Well, welcome back to another podcast episode here of the Bright Roundtable. And today we're recording on location. And the table is not round, but there is a table, and I've got several friends and fellow ministers here with me. We are recording on location from a, a sister PCA church in Florence, South Carolina, and uh, I've got a, a couple good and faithful brothers here that we want to do a, a fun and informal podcast interview. You know, some of the recent podcasts that we've been talking about lately have involved things of the nature of church planting, and we've talked about some of the challenges that we're facing uh, with regard to ministry, pastoral biblical ministry in the 21st century, and uh, you know, in the podcast we've been doing, teaming up with Kelly Baldridge and the folks at Appalachia Reformation Network, we've been thinking about ministry challenges facing uh, rural areas and impoverished areas and the region throughout Appalachia. And so as I'm here with some of these with some of these friends and brothers, we thought this would be a great opportunity just to record an informal conversation and think about uh, some of these uh, challenges and uh, issues together. And so I'll take a, just a moment to allow each of these brothers to introduce themselves as we go around the table, but I failed to introduce myself at the beginning of the podcast. So my name is Sean Morris. I serve as the academic dean here at Bright, and I'm one of the regular hosts of this podcast. And I've got three brothers here that are also fellow ministers in the PCA, that's the Presbyterian Church in America, here with me. I've got Nick Bullock, Matt Adams, and Kyle Brent, good friends of mine, and I'll let them take a moment to go around the table and introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm Nick Bullock. I'm a uh uh, pastor and evangelist, uh, Covenant Fellowship PCA in Stuttgart, Germany. I serve with ministry to the military and internationals of the Southeast Alabama Presbytery. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Matt Adams, uh, pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Dillon, South Carolina, which is also my uh, hometown. I'm back home doing ministry, and so uh, we're in PD Presbytery. Uh, actually a, a pretty small Presbytery in and of itself in the PCA world, but most of our uh, churches are very rural in their uh, nature um, and, and smaller uh, for the most part as well. So really excited to talk about these things. My name is Kyle Brent. I'm pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, if you've ever gone to Myrtle Beach, you've likely passed through Conway as there are very few ways to get to Myrtle Beach, but Conway is one of those thoroughfares. Um, we are a rural church, even though we're in a very growing county. Uh, it has definitely bustled over the past few decades uh, as it has grown in tourism and interest in that regard. Uh, yet it is still a, a rural ministry. We are a relatively small PCA church that desires faithfulness uh, to the Lord. Uh, and so that presents its own uh, unique challenges as we have a lot of influx from other areas, a lot of visitors, but also a lot of uh, retirees. And so it pro proposes unique challenges as we go through uh, our ministry at Grace. Well, thank you, brothers. I'm glad to be together with you and spend some time talking about these things. What I thought we would do is go around the table, and we might start talking with Nick here. Now, Nick is church planting, as he mentioned, in Stuttgart, Germany. He's church planting a, a PCA work there. It was planted a number of years ago, and he's taken the reins over as the solo planter for the moment, the solo pastor of that work. And I uh, figured we, even though, of course, it's it's international, it's not particularly unique to, uh, it's not particularly connected to our region of the country or, or Appalachia, 
uh, where Roanoke is just on the cusp of. But nevertheless, I, I suspect there's a lot we can learn and a lot we can think about in terms of church planting and what that means and what simple, biblical, ordinary church planting looks like in an internat- international cultural context. And maybe some of the lessons we can think about as we're thinking about simple, biblical, ordinary church planting here in America that we want to encourage and inculcate. So I thought we might spend a few minutes talking to Nick and hearing from him about uh, the opportunities and the challenges that he's facing in Stuttgart, and then also talk to the, our other two brothers about some of the challenges and opportunities that they're facing and things that we ought to be thinking about, particularly with regard to rural ministry. So Nick, let me first ask you, maybe give a little bit of the backstory of how you came into contact uh, with the folks in Stuttgart, maybe a little bit of the backstory uh, of that church there, and then after that maybe we'll talk about some of the particular challenges that you face, certainly in light of the COVID pandemic and all of the stuff you've had to put up with for the last couple of years. But even if COVID were never a factor, maybe talk to us a little bit about the challenges you're simply facing uh, doing international church planning ministry as you are. So I first got involved with the church plant in Stuttgart through the director of ministry to the military and internationals some years ago uh, when I was a student at RTS, Jackson, uh, I had an interaction with Pastor Doug Hudson, uh, who heard me preach and uh, pursued me through my internship years. And uh, at one point, Doug uh, tried to have me go and take a plant in Italy, in Vicenza, near an Air Force base there. And then some time after that, I took a call, which wasn't to that specific church in the Mississippi Delta, yet Doug persisted and uh, pursued me and asked me to pray about a sense of call to plant a church in Germany. And I went over with the intention to possibly plant in the state of Bavaria, uh, near to where my dad's family uh, lives. My father's half German, and uh, we have a direct family living there. However, I just didn't feel called to it, and on that trip uh, we were preparing to to leave, and uh, we worshiped in Stuttgart and noticed that the pastor uh, hadn't been out of the pulpit in a while, and so I offered to preach, and um, uh, yeah, uh, just resounded with the church, and uh, some months later, he asked if I would consider being his successor, and uh, my wife and I prayed about it, felt a burden uh, for the people of Germany, for the families of the armed forces that served there, and um, yeah, the Lord moved our hearts and uh, moved the hearts of that church to call me as the second church planter and pastor of that church. Yeah, and just for a little bit of added context, uh, Nick here is a very good friend of mine from seminary days, and I had the immense privilege of getting to travel over to Germany uh, in late 2019, prior to when the whole world fell apart in early 2020. Uh, I had the immense privilege of traveling over there and getting to preach for his installation service to that congregation and it's a lovely church, just a lovely group of people, about half German, half American expats. Maybe tell us a little bit about some of the dynamics and, and the folks that are involved in that congregation. What are, what are your numbers? What brings folks to Stuttgart? Uh, the American military, obviously, but certainly plenty of other things as well. Stuttgart's an international city. It has a rich history that uh, is, I, I would say, most contemporarily known as the cradle of the automobile. And uh, you have Porsche. Uh, which we'll all be very familiar with. Porsche, if you own one, Porsche, if you don't. And uh, Mercedes-Benz, located out of the city. Uh, if you know what a diesel engine is, then you know uh, of one of the great inventions of our city, 
Uh, and so we have lots of people that are connected with those two great uh, multinational corporations uh, coming into and out of our city. Uh, we also, as, as Stuttgart is a German city, um, it, uh, it has a, a remaining American military presence there, and we have quite a lot of American command structures for uh, all of the branches located there on one of our four bases. Uh, and so at any given time, we have uh, somewhere around 25 to 30,000 active duty uh, members of the armed forces or uh, an un unspecified number of uh, government employees that work in the defense sector uh, there in the city. Um, that's not to say that the whole of the city is just tied into those two things. Our, our metropolitan is 5.3 million people. Mm. It's the uh, fifth largest city in the country, uh, Germany. Uh, with that in view, one of the things to say is that our church plant, um, even nine years on, <laughs> still a church plant, is the only uh, reformed and certainly the only Presbyterian church uh, within an hour and a half radius of the city of Stuttgart with only one other church uh, being within that, that loop with the next nearest being Reformed Baptist churches in the city of Munich. And so we sort of have a corner on the market. Uh, anybody that uh, would like to hear a Reformed and Presbyterian presentation of the gospel will inevitably end up finding us. Another thing to touch upon is that we are uh, only... Uh, 20 minutes uh, in a car on the Audubon from uh, the university city of Tübingen, famous for the Tübingen University and their historical theology faculty that has been uh, well known of as the cradle of Christian liberalism. And uh, that liberalism has had a tremendous effect on uh, Protestant Christianity in our area and in the whole of the country, I would say even the whole world, but particularly um, it has uh, stagnated and, and killed so many of those um, faithful churches at one point in the line of Luther and the Reformation. So um, I, I think it's not a wrong thing to say. We're one of the very, very few churches that are concerned with preaching the Bible uh, without apology. Uh, we're one of the very few churches that are concerned with an evangelistic ministry for the sake of the souls of men, women, and children. Yeah, that sort of leads into a follow-up question I was going to ask. Of, it's probably fair to say that the spiritual state of Germany is pretty bleak, as it is in wider Europe. And I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a German state church, and it's this loose liberal Protestantism, liberal Lutheranism. And so I'm guessing a church like your own, committed to biblical Christianity as it is, you probably have folks wandering through your doors who may or may not have been explicitly reformed or calvinistic but they're looking for biblical preaching and biblical teaching and biblical worship and so they find their way to you all and that's a real opportunity I, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining maybe talk to us a little bit about that sure one of our great evangelistic tools would be google uh, people who uh, either have become new believers uh, or maybe they have a crisis in their life uh, they will type into the search engine biblical church and uh, generally that will direct them to my church. And um, I think it's a wonderful thing because it means that people come to our church not because they're pointedly looking for Reformed theology, but they want a church that teaches the Word of God. And they sort of get Reformed theology as a result because, after all, we do believe that Reformed theology is, well, simply a biblical theology, a theology that strives to 
to love and honor Jesus Christ and to keep his word. Um, in our city, uh, one of the things that, that this means is that you know we receive diverse people. Uh, and that means our ministry plan has to be diverse in the way in which we do it. It has to be diverse linguistically, and uh, we're thankful that um, in the world we live in, English is uh, one of the most uh, broadly known languages, and certainly so in, in Europe, and so we have the benefit that we can preach and teach and conduct worship in English uh, for our church, and that people can generally understand it. However, young children, uh, or even older adults, a generation of 60 years old plus, uh, have less awareness of the English language, so we, we translate everything. And we have native translators who uh, join me every Sunday uh, to translate the full service. And people can hear this uh, through an earpiece. They can also, if they'd like, they can hear it live um, in our services of worship. And uh, I think one of the neat things that, that that does for us is if you don't know um, German, you can hear it in English. So that opens it up to Polish people, Chinese people, Korean people, every kind of person. Uh, and if you don't know English and you know German, um, well, then you can also hear the gospel. Um, these two highly international languages being a great evangelistic tool for what we're doing. And really the best thing we can do as a church, the most strategic thing we can do, uh, is, is at one and the same time the most faithful thing we can do. And that is open God's word and preach it, read it, teach it, to God's people, because that is what's lacking in Germany. Uh, Sean mentioned uh, that uh, maybe I could give a word about the spiritual state of the country. Uh, oftentimes, our capital city, Berlin, uh, has been called the atheist capital of Europe, and uh, that's just really indicative of the whole country. Uh, this is not um, a Christian or Western society, as people would say. I generally think of it as a post-Christian society, where people have Sure, seen the, the artifice of the church and the buildings that have been left behind by generations before, um, but they don't know the teachings of, of the gospel. Uh, Jesus is little more than a, a swear word to many of them, and uh, religious expression of Christianity is reduced to the high holidays of Pentecost, uh, Christmas, Easter, uh, Three Kings Days, things like that. And so... Um, we're, re we're really dealing with a great ignorance. Uh, it's, it's less of a rejection than it is a complete omission of uh, any awareness of the Bible's teaching or the teachings of Christianity. Now, you, you took the pulpit there in late 2019, October, November of 2019, and then, as I say, a few months later, March of 2020, COVID hits, the world falls apart. So taking over in the Lord's kindness and graciousness, an international church plant is hard enough as it is and challenging enough as it is in, in the most ideal of situations. And then you've got COVID frustrations being compounded upon that. So maybe talk to us, here's a twofold question. Talk to us about some of the challenges you would have endured ordinarily and some of the challenges you were maybe perhaps up against in 2019. And then secondly, talk to us about the added challenges and how your church has had to navigate through the, the frustrations that have come along with COVID and different restrictions and, and things of that nature in the post-2020 world as we are. Sure, um, yeah. So anytime a pastor takes a new church, there's always the getting to know you awkwardness, the uh, honeymoon phase where uh, people don't know enough about you to be just really critical. They're hoping that your quirks are not really things that stick, and so you run up against that. Also, sometimes you run up against the need to reform things from a previous ministry, things that weren't dealt with or 
or, or, or whatever, stylistic things, uh, sometimes substantial things. And I'm very blessed to have um, taken over a pulpit um, that was established with a godly ministry. Nothing uh, was up for me to be changed. The order of worship, the substance of of the fellowship of the church, none of it needed to be changed. The only thing I wanted to do was expand it all. Uh, I wanted to see the service um, done more excellently with its music. I wanted to see um, the the translation ministry expanded and uh, polished and made better. Um, and so from that, that angle of things, th- there was very little that needed to be done. I wanted to see a, a building of um, a men's ministry, which, which we've done. Uh, I still want to see a, um, a raising up of a children and youth ministry. Uh, we certainly need that. But, yeah, those are just kind of normal things. It, um, internationally, moving to a different place, you've you got to learn the language. And uh, I've learned enough to to conduct myself in business. Um, however, freedom with the German language would take me better than 10 to 15 years to be able to preach um, and express myself spiritually and very honestly uh, with my people. And so we, we rely on that in the worship services with, with native German speakers uh, who have spoken this language their whole lives. They pray in this language. It's, it's the language of their religious affections. And so in, in a sense, I get to sidestep that. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't have enough German to speak to my neighbors. I do. Uh, to order a hamburger, I do. Uh, to pay my bills, I do. Um, but I haven't had to face that as much. Um, so there, there's those difficult things, the things you might miss. In all honesty, I don't really miss American culture. I miss, I miss my friends. I miss my presbytery. I miss my family. Those are the things that you miss, and that's a challenge. Uh, but with COVID, what do you do? You didn't have that on the job description when you told me to move to Germany. That's tough enough. Um, what do you do whenever the state church that owns the building you meet in, there's no separation of church and state, whenever they obey the government and they lock you out of your building and you've got 80 to 100 people and a growing church and a ministry that's just months old with your leadership? Uh, well, I'm very pleased to say that I wasn't confused for a second. Um I was well-trained at Reformed Theological Seminary, well-mentored at Providence Presbyterian and at Independent Pres, and with the session of elders at Second Pres Yazoo. Um, I'm a minister standing on the shoulder of 500 years of faithful biblical ministry. And whenever they locked us out, uh, I also am a man that, that lives in, 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 20, in, the, in the 21st century. Um, and uh, I know what a, an iPhone is. I know what the Internet is. Uh, and uh, we just simply said, we're going to conduct worship as we always do. And uh, so I, I preached entire services in my attic and recorded them on my iPhone. And uh, they went out on the Internet to my people. And um, I called and did pastoral visitations with uh, Zoom uh, and prayed with God's people and would go and stand at the, the curb by their home and mm-hmm and sing a psalm to them, or, or whatever needed to be. We maintained our fellowship this way, and also encouraged our people, even to the point of helping them sort of schedule uh, meetings until we could meet again. And so from March to May, we, we couldn't meet in person. After May, we were given the freedom to go back into our building, um, and we did. However, when we went back in, we were told we couldn't serve the Lord's Supper, and you can't sing. So what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You open your Trinity hymnal, and you turn to that 
most authoritative part of it, the reading of the Psalms, which are God's word, that responsive reading. And so we sang the praises in their substance as we read the Psalms. And it's absolutely sufficient to be able to do that. We, we're not exclusive psalmists, but for those few months we were because <laughs> we had very few other choices. And I'll tell you, you've never heard a church read louder than whenever they tell you, you just can't do it to a tune. And uh, we did that for a month. I think it was about eight months that we uh, found ourselves barred from singing uh, or else we'd get kicked out. And, and in Germany, we would have been put into a public park and uh, the weather's so intemperate that uh, it would have been difficult. We did do some outdoor meetings in the rain, the snow, the cold. We don't really have heat. Um, but yeah, in the Lord's mercy, our, our commitment to a biblically faithful Christianity was what helped us stand on our feet. Mm. And we've grown. Uh, our numbers haven't dropped off. Uh, we've grown. Our, our ministry just has expanded. And it's because of God's word and its power uh, unto salvation for those who are lost. That's remarkable. What a remarkable challenge. But then again, what a remarkable God. Praise the Lord for his sustaining of y'all during those challenging times. Well, I know we want to get to our other brothers here in a moment, but before I transition over to those guys, maybe let me, you know, it's easy to talk about all the differences. It's easy to talk about all the unique particularities of church planning in a different context, different culture, learning the language, dealing with immigration visas and things of that nature. And maybe that's a conversation we could have another time, but maybe let me close with you by asking this. What encouragement would you give to our American church planners or guys who are thinking about church planning who might be listening to this podcast what are some overarching principles with regard to church planting and biblical ministry they're going to carry over irrespective of the context in any setting? How would you want to encourage our brothers who might be thinking about church planting ministry and what that might look like? Sure. I would encourage American church planters and pastors as well to think of the work you do in more than a congregational sphere. Of course, you want to raise up a specific and particular congregation with elders and deacons. That is your uh, first um, goal, your first responsibility and call. Um, But if you're Reformed and Presbyterian, that also has reference to the presbytery and the denomination. And in my context, we don't have a presbytery. I mean, we have an American oversight presbytery, of course, southeast Alabama, but Locally, we don't have it. We don't have a local national denomination yet. We want it. And so as I labor in Germany, I'm always looking forward to the raising up of godly men to be ruling elders in the courts, and then also the nurture of men, young men, old men, however, uh, to be developed into capable laborers for Christ that might become teaching elders. Um, In my context, that means that Yeah, we have an internship program. Uh, We have one young man who's interning. Uh, We don't have a seminary local and handy, uh, though we do have a relationship with Bright, and we use it to train men we're hoping to raise up. Um, We we have uh, a relationship with Edinburgh Theological Seminary in the UK. And uh, what's our goal? Well, we want to make men dangerous for Jesus so that they can be trained up to plant churches so we can have our presbytery. And if we get a presbytery, then we can do something else. We can have 
uh, an assembly. And if we have an assembly in time, we can have a school. And I really think that that, that's the direction it goes. You nurture in the cradle of the congregation so that then you can establish a presbytery, then you can establish a national church, and then you can continue to reproduce yourself in an academy. And I really wish churches would think in these terms. I think sometimes brothers are really spoiled. They have those old presbyteries that go back generations. But are you preparing your men to be part of it? Are you preparing your women to pray for and to invest their souls in those that are their shepherds? If you're not, you really should be, because that's the only way in which the church is going to adequately care for uh, the place where you live. Those are some great thoughts, and we appreciate you taking the time to share them with us, and that gives us some some good fodder for which we can be praying for you and your family and, and for your congregation in the meantime. That's that's excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for part one of this ministry interview with our friend Nick as we thought about church planting and church planting internationally in Stuttgart, Germany. Be sure to join us next time for part two of our ministry interview where we talk to a couple more friends of Bright and give some consideration to ministry initiatives and pastoral ministry in a rural setting. Look forward to having you join us next time. You've been listening to a production of the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. For more information about the Institute, please visit our website at www.bright-va.org.